Welcome back to Fintech Insider Focus in association with Visa. In this show, we take a burning question from the financial services across the globe and really put it under the microscope with explainers, expert panels, and in-depth interviews, all to bring the global community into focus. Today, I am joined again by my Fintech Insider Focus co-host, Erin Purcell, who is the Vice President of North America Fintech New Business Development at Visa. How's it going, Erin? Hi there. Thanks for having me. I'm doing good. Good, good. Where in the world are you today? Just for everybody listening, coming into this, because I mean, my accent and your accent's a bit different, but where in the world are you? <laughs> I have an accent. <laughs> um, I'm in New York City today. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Do you know what I saw uh, on uh, social media this week that uh, isn't it snowing over there? So uh, like... We had about a drop of snow yesterday, um, which of course meant that my son's school uh, had a snow day, which was awful. Uh, for no reason. But um, we have not had a lot of really cold, snowy weather this year at all. Yeah. Snow days. Kids love them. Parents, not so much, right? So uh, That's right. All right. Well, in this second part of our focus on the question, what does effective financial inclusion look like in the US? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the the first part of this, this conversation. If you haven't heard that, go find it wherever you found this podcast and, and listen to the panel discussion with uh, Sheena Allen of, of Capway. We spoke about the real-world impact of being unbanked in the US, the the financial services players and regulators that are, are trying to address some of these, and and also the, the, the current solutions that are, are trying to sort of chip away at that uh, that issue, um, however slowly that is. But but Aaron, I mean, why is financial inclusion so important to, to Visa? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say to start off, I think it's important to understand as a company, we have a purpose, right? Our, our purpose and our mission is to uplift everyone everywhere by being the best way to pay and be paid, right? And so that in itself um, is core to inclusion, it's vital, I think, it's, and we, we believe it's our mission to find unique and creative ways to help bring every individual into the financial mainstream or into a financial services environment that allows them to thrive. So it's really core to who we are as a company. Yeah, I mean that that purpose is 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 great, and that's a I mean that's a north star of a decision making on a day-to-day basis, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's if it's you or somebody just coming into the organization, that's a, a left or right moment with each decision you're making in that way, isn't it? And it's it's interesting how core purpose is, you know, the the culture that can be created around that becomes a lot easier to manage, doesn't it? Oh, it's been, I think it's been amazing to watch the sort of transformation in employees and their, their connection to the company and, and their connection to sort of like you know, we're, we're a for-profit big business, right? But it's allowed everyone to feel like we're part of a bigger mission across the world um, in helping people. For me personally, it's been very gratifying, you know, to, to align myself to, to Visa's mission and to, to, you know, sort of restructure the way that I think about partnership and clients um, every day, waking up, thinking about like, how does this solve problems? How can I help my clients build their business such that they can have a real positive impact on individual people across the world. So it's been very gratifying. 
Well, far, far more interesting thing to get out of bed every day for and uh, and get to work in terms of um, the things that can really change the industry, isn't it? But, uh, so in, in the second part of the show, what we're going to be doing is sitting down with the the founder, in uh, a founder in the US financial inclusion space to dive into the weeds a little bit deeper into this topic and hopefully get a bit of a different perspective on it. 11FS's own David Barton Grimley was lucky enough to grab some time with Amber Booker, who is the founder over at Totem, and they had an absolutely fascinating chat. Uh, you'll hear that after a short message from Visa. Don't go anywhere. Visa's fintech fast track program is streamlining the onboarding process for fintechs, enabling them to gain access to Visa's powerful capabilities and network. Visa and their enablement partners help fintechs launch and scale cards, virtual credentials, and disbursement programs. To learn more, visit partner.visa.com. Thanks, David. I'm David Barton Grimley, Global Strategy Director of Embedded Financial Services here at 11FS. And I'm delighted to talk to so many amazing people from across the industry. As mentioned, it's great to be joined on Fintech Insider Focus by Amber Buker, co-founder and CEO of Totem. How are you today, Amber? I'm doing well. Thank you so much, David. It's great to be here. Awesome. Super excited for this chat. So for an international audience, can you tell us about who Totem are and what they do? Absolutely. So Totem is a company that I co-founded with uh, my co-founder, Richard Chance. Um, I'm Choctaw. He's Cherokee. And we've created the first digital bank by and for indigenous people. So our whole goal is to get more of our people banked, help them grow their credit scores and access the tribal benefits that they're entitled to to help create a new tradition of native wealth building. Fantastic. So let's jump right in then. We have a lot to unpack here. So let's start off at the beginning. How did Totem come together as an idea with you and your co-founder? So the, the seed was planted for Totem years ago, uh, before I ever knew my co-founder, when I was actually trying to access a tribal down payment program that would help me buy my first home. I was a first-generation college student, first person in my immediate family to try to buy a home, and had very little savings and even less idea about how to actually do that, um, you know, money in my household, as in a lot of other Native households, was something that was always a difficult subject. So it was one that we just kind of avoided. And um, it was kind of difficult to to realize when I started working in banking, just kind of how far behind I was in terms of participating fully in the financial system. And so, you know, when I started working for a group called Bank Director, I decided to catch up rather quickly, um, you know, fixing my credit and, and having this goal of home ownership. But I didn't really know how to do a lot of those things. And so as one does, I was chatting with my mom and telling her about this, this goal. And she said, you know, I'm pretty sure your tribe has a down payment assistance program. And so I got all excited and I gave them a call and the person on the other end of the line has no clue what I'm talking about. Now, when I tell this story to other Native folks, this is the part where they start to laugh and shake their head and we go, yep, that's just how it works. We all know that you just kind of call back later and hope you get someone else that knows about the program. So I did that, um, spent about a week getting transferred around to all the wrong people. And then I got the bright idea to involve my bank, who I was trying to get the mortgage loan from and see if they could call the tribe and intercede on my behalf. Um, they declined to do that. And ultimately, I actually never was able to figure out how to use that program. Um, it set my home buying journey back by a couple of years. And I just remembered thinking at the time, if I just had a bank that understood what it is to be Native, what these benefits are, it could have gone really differently. 
Um, fast forward a few years, I did successfully buy a home all on my own with no help um, and was living back in Oklahoma among my people and my tribe um, right before COVID hit. Of course, when COVID-19 hit, uh, digital banking just exploded because a lot of folks needed an account for the first time to receive stimulus checks. All the bank lobbies were closed. So what do you do if you open an account online? And with that, we saw the rise of these really niche neobanks for all sorts of groups here in the U.S in particular. Um, there are several digital banks for Black Americans, several for Latinx folks, a couple for LGBTQIA folks. But as I was looking around the space, no one looked like me. Um, I, I still to this day only know a couple of other Native American folks in the fintech industry at all. And so decided, you know, between the experience that I had in the past and what I was experiencing now, not just all of the the issues that Native folks can face with trying to access financial services, but the great opportunities that we have with these special programs that we have access to. Um, I just took a look around and said, you know, someone needs to build this, and I guess it's going to have to be me. Um, so that's really how it all came together. I found my co-founder, Richard Chance, through a group called Natives in Tech. That's a nonprofit designed to create spaces for indigenous technologists to build open source solutions together um, and really just light the path for other indigenous folks that to show them that a career in tech is possible. Um, it's something that we don't often see in some of our indigenous communities, particularly reservation communities. And so um, it was a great organization to meet him through and the rest is kind of history. Wow, it's such an inspirational story, both for your customers, but also for people in the community. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about financial exclusion within the communities that you're working in. What, what, what does that look like? We know it's such a huge problem in the United States and across the world generically, but specifically for the Native American population. What, what, what are those specific exclusions that you're looking to help, help alleviate? Yeah, Native Americans are one of the largest group of unbanked people in the entire country here in the U.S. Um, higher, We're unbanked at a rate that's higher than black households, Asian households, and obviously much higher than white households. And there are a lot of reasons for that. If you look at the FDIC's research, um, the number one reason that people who are unbanked cite for not having an account is they are just too broke to be banked. Um, they can't meet minimum balance requirements. They don't have money for monthly fees. And it's just easier and more convenient for them to operate in cash. Um, so, you know, for our accounts, like many other neobanks, there are no minimums, no monthly fees um, to, to kind of tackle that barrier right away. But then when you get to some of the barriers that are specific to our folks, um, you know, Native Americans travel three times further to get to a bank branch than other Americans. So if you can imagine living on perhaps a more remote reservation, um, you know, the Navajo reservation is a great example of this um, out in the uh, out in the in the West, um, here in the states, where you know they're having to travel so much further just to access uh, you know banking services, and then on the way to try to access those banking services, what you'll see a lot of times is that um, there will be a ring of sort of alternative financial service providers around the edge of the reservation. So check cashing places, title loans, um, you know, all sorts of 
financial sort of tools that have really predatory fees and interest rates um, that get our people into a really damaging cycle of debt. And they're positioned there on purpose um, because they know that we lack access to those resources. And so um, having a digital solution was really important to us to be mobile first. Um, While a lot of folks on reservations may not have great broadband, 96% of Native Americans have a smartphone and are able to connect and access the internet just like the rest of the population. And so having that mobile first banking solution was a really important way for us to tackle just the most basic geographical barrier um, to financial inclusion. We also face issues with credit and visibility. It's not that we have bad credit, but just more of us have no credit at all. So Totem is working on rolling out a credit builder card this year to help people safely um, build credit in a way that's not scary and is much more approachable. We also have issues um, passing basic KYC or know your customer checks um, here in the in the states, and so we've built in some really intentional waterfalls so that we can make sure that we're taking a second look at those accounts and not dismissing people out of hand when they're trying to apply online. Um, really, the the barriers run deep and and broad. Things that a normal bank wouldn't even consider to be a barrier can can keep our people out of an account. So, for example, um, most banks will not mail a debit card to a P.O. box. But again, if we're thinking back to that really remote reservation, sometimes folks there don't have a deliverable physical address. They have to rely on a P.O. box. So we were able to work with our banking partner to make an exception there so that we can get people their cards no matter where they live, on reservation or off. Um, So it's just kind of incredible once you start digging into it and building the solution as we have. There are so many decision points that come up when you're along the, the product building journey. And just being able to make those decisions through the lived experience of an indigenous person in the modern world um, goes so far to to make things more accessible for our people in ways that other banks, other institutions just wouldn't even know to look for. Yeah, it's amazing to hear that some of these problems are actually not insurmountable if you pay attention to them and actually care for the community around you. It's it's remarkable to see. And and. Where, where would you say your North Star is for, for Totem? Like of all of these services that you, could, that you could and are standing up to help the community, what is the main one in the long term that you think is going to really shift the dial? So our main goal is to start at the bottom and just get people banked and accessing those basic financial services. I mentioned the credit builder card is kind of next up on our roadmap, but there are a ton of really value-added services that we can provide. So in our MVP app, um, we have a resources tab that helps people find national federal programs for benefits and also ways to plug into the community. We have plans to expand into mortgages. There are a couple of different federal mortgage programs specifically for Native Americans that are drastically underserved. Um, And we've heard that confirmation of that from banking partners here in Oklahoma. They have more people trying to apply for these loans than they can service. Um, So there are a lot of products that are on the roadmap, but when you talk about a North Star, um, in in a lot of Native cultures, we have a concept called the seven generations. So we're constantly trying to make decisions and act in such a way that we are being stewards of our resources for seven generations ahead. Um, And one of our lead investors uh, is an Indigenous investor. It's called Raven Indigenous uh, Capital Partners. And so when we're working with them, we do a 
lot of work on impact and visioning. And they ask a similar question um, to your North Star question, David, which is seven generations from now, what do you want your, you know, great, great grandchildren to know about you? And I laughed and said, I don't, I don't want that generation to know me or my name at all, because I want it to be so common for our people to have accounts, to be able to buy homes, to be able to get a car loan if they need one, that it's not even thought of as anything different, right? Our, our North Star, our goal for that seventh generation is parity with the rest of the nation in terms of access and participation in the financial system. And it sounds like through that approach, you're really taking a long-term view about building trust, creating trust in a financial system where where perhaps it, you know, historically and systemically hasn't existed before. Um, and, and I'd like to talk a little bit about that, about, you know, the, the sort of basis of trust that exists or, or doesn't exist. You know, you mentioned that there are a lot of federal programs that either go um, underutilized or extremely difficult for people to access. I mean, that must... That must really, you know, hit people's confidence in their ability to to move forward. Absolutely. I think it it's it's problematic on a number of levels. And you know, one of them is, as you mentioned, it definitely is a, a blow to your confidence and your really, you know, it's even more than your confidence. It's really your um ability to self-actualize and reach those highest levels of being um, because we are so invisible as a, as a people, our issues go undiscussed so often. And, you know, there's, there's historical reasons for that. You know, we are victims of attempted genocide and we're still here. And certainly those traumas are endemic to our people and our everyday way of life still today, even as modern natives. But there's also this issue of just an, a complete lack of awareness and lack of connection to our cultures as well. That's the result of all of those generations of, you know, genocide and, and trauma, forced removal, all of these things that were very largely successful in separating Indigenous people from our communities and our way of life that was so counter to, you know, what the the colonizers were attempting to establish here in the U.S. And so when that happens, we get all these generations of, you know, what we call urban natives, folks who were, you know, forcibly removed or or strongly encouraged to move to urban areas and, you know, disconnect from their culture in that way. Now we have an entire generation of indigenous people that self-identify as indigenous. And in fact, the number of self-identifying Native Americans on the U.S. census absolutely exploded between the 2010 and the 2020 census grew by 160%. So we clearly have a, a whole generation of people that are proudly identifying as indigenous. And a lot of that has to do with the cultural moment that we're in today, but they have no way to actually connect back to that culture. They may not have grown up on a reservation. They may not have any clue about how their tribal council works and how their tribal governance works. They, in many cases, have no idea about the benefits that are available to them um, or are only kind of tangentially aware that there may be things that they can qualify for, but they have no idea how. And so that's a big part of what we're doing with Totem too, is not just providing accessible banking services to our people who, you know, may struggle with some of those, you know, issues that are 
oftentimes more um, apparent for on-reservation natives that may be closer to their tribes. We're also having this this other piece of our market, which is people that are trying so hard to connect with their culture and figure out how to reestablish those roots or figure out what might be you know accessible to them from a benefit standpoint. Because just because you're not directly involved with your tribe today doesn't mean that you're still at a disadvantage as a human when coming from these backgrounds that include just so much deeply seated generational trauma that we really can't assess how that's impacted your life so far, right? So the resources tab is something that's completely unique to us as far as I know from other digital banks and is really helping people find ways to, again, access benefit programs, but also, you know, find out about initiatives like Rock the Native Vote, um, which is helping us, you know, figure out how to use our voice, you know, in, in voting or Illuminative, which is helping to establish visibility for our people on social media and other channels and get a voice in, um, you know, film and TV and, and all of these big stages. So, you know, I think, I think we have a lot of work to do, um, certainly, but, but we're starting on it and it's hard work. (laughs) Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. I also love how you're using financial services as a way to connect people, um, to culture. It's such an amazing higher purpose because I guess financial services are so intrinsic to our daily lives. You have that daily touch point, which could then help people create that identification and that deeper link um, with their with their culture. It is. We we have a vision that's uh, uh, pretty broad. We have a vision that someday your totem card would not just be your debit card and access to your totem spending account, but it would also be the place where you receive your payroll if you work for a tribally owned enterprise. It would also be the place where you receive benefit payments from your tribe if you qualify for you know burial assistance or school supply money or, or whatever the case is. Um, and we also believe that that same card could also be your tribal identification card someday. So we we really want to tackle this vertical and partnering with tribes to provide these services to their people. It's a, a B2B2C kind of distribution model that, you know, leveraging those tribal relationships really aligns with everything that we're trying to do in terms of building a new tradition of Native wealth. And, and these are the kind of services, I guess, that um, an incumbent bank would really struggle with, whether specifically for a particular demographic or a population or, or even more broadly. I mean, and this might be a very difficult question to answer, but do you, do you think, is there, a, is there a specific mistake or a common mistake that you can see an incumbent doing over and over and over again that creates the, the alienation and the financial exclusion? Or is it just a complete plethora of different things that come together? Yeah, I think it's a plethora of things that come together. Um, I think that, you know, financial institutions, traditional FIs um, have to be a lot of things to a lot of people. And so it just doesn't make sense for them to be, you know, kind of making these really discrete decisions that have to do with, a, you know, what is admittedly a really small segment of the population. Um, and so, you know, we don't hold it against them necessarily. I don't, I come from a banking background. I've worked with community banks for years. I understand the populations that they're trying to serve. 
serve. And it's just not mine. You know, it's just not my population. It's not my people and, and the specific needs that we have. And so that's why we felt it was so important to, to do what we're doing. Now, there are Native-owned banks in the U.S. Um, the problem is there are so few of them. There's less than 1% of all banks in the U.S. are Native-owned. There are about 30 of them. Um, and then a lot of Native-owned CDFIs or Community Development Financial Institutions as well that do some really specific work around home ownership and um, credit prep and things like that. They're doing amazing work, but there's just not enough of them. Um, you know, that small of a number for as big of a you know landscape as the as the U.S. is um, just doesn't make a lot of sense. A lot of those FIs are very small. You know, a couple of branches, a couple hundred million in assets, and they just don't have the reach that we need to be able to provide this to natives across the nation. Um, and then the last thing that I'll say in terms of traditional FIs and how they are aren't serving us is that there's also a tremendous moral component to banking that I think goes unnoticed by a lot of the population, but for indigenous people um, is really front and center. So our people in early concept tests told us over and over again, you know, I only bank with a Chase or a Wells Fargo or whoever because I have to, because I need one, a really good app, right? Goes back to that access issue. Um, and two, I need to be able to access my money no matter where I am. But if I could have those things from a provider that aligned with my values as an indigenous person, you know, someone that wasn't on their, you know, investing side of the house funding pipelines and projects and companies that are so counter to indigenous values and actively harming indigenous communities in many cases as well, they would much rather make that choice to bank with someone that is, um, you know, respecting those values and lifting up our native communities. A percentage of our interchange revenue goes back to our tribal partners. So people can feel confident knowing that every time they're making a purchase, not only are they not supporting those causes that are hurting our people, but they are actually making a positive impact in their own tribal communities. Amazing. And, and as you lead the way in, you know, both taking friction out of the system um, and creating that activation with people's financial lives uh, and you grow, could you even see yourselves working with an incumbent? I mean, you know, over time, could you see an incumbent bank maybe doing some of this and learning from some of the things that, that, you're, that you're doing? Absolutely. And I'm happy to say that's already started in many ways. We have some great partners at one of the really large U.S. banks. I'm not candid to talk about it just yet in terms of how we're working together, but I can say that we've received a tremendous amount of support from really large financial institutions. You know, I think, it, again, it goes back to that kind of moment, the cultural moment that we're in, um, in America in particular with the Black Lives Matter movement over the last couple of years. A lot of large banks have really started to put their their money where their mouth is in terms of supporting um, more culturally responsive solutions. And we're definitely um, the beneficiaries of some of that movement. And hopefully we'll be able to talk about um, some partnerships with really large FIs soon. But it's not just large FIs. We're also, um, you know, we actually recently hosted a CRA workshop, or a, which stands for the Community Reinvestment Act here in the States. It's, you know, rules that help to correct, um, you know, lending and other sort of mistakes that U.S. banks have made um excluding people, particularly through redlining and lending and things like that. And so CRA kind of makes sure that they're doing their part to include those other um, 
folks that have traditionally been left out. Um, we had a CRA workshop with myself and a couple of my other neobank founder friends. Um, so Kelly over at Guava, which is a neobank for black small business owners, and Billy over at Daylight, which is the digital bank for LGBT folks and family planning. We brought them together with several community bank leaders and investors to talk about exactly that. How can we work together? Um, we have a lot of opportunities and ideas for how those banks can support the work that we're doing, but then also how we can partner with them to help them reach these communities that they just don't have the language to talk to yet. And just on that same thread, you know, you talked about lending and, and redlining. You know, if you take a step back uh, from the Native American community and think about the wider network that you're a part of, are there any very specific developments or some low-hanging fruit that you you, you just would like to see the the wider banking industry unstick or take friction out of immediately? Any kind of no-brainers that just need to get done? Or is it just a question that there's so many? <laughs> Yeah, there are there are a lot. I don't think there's any immediate no-brainers in my community in particular, but there definitely are in others. I mean, you know, I think about my friends at Daylight and also a banking app called Euphoria where they're allowing people to use their chosen, correct, legal legally changed names on their debit cards. You know, things like that seem like oh, that's still a problem for, like, that's still an issue? How? How is that still an issue? So, yeah, I mean, I think even outside of the Native American context, there are so many things like that that are, um, again, just a matter of visibility and understanding that lived experience to be able able to even pick out that these things are an issue. Um, I think there's a lot of work to be done, and I think a lot of the big banks are trying to do it. And, And also, this isn't specific to the U.S. I've actually been in talks with several folks in Australia who are currently working with kind of the big four banks there to figure out how to bank the indigenous populations there in a responsible and respectful manner. Um, Digital banking there is not as big of a deal there as it is here in the U.S. People are calling me trying to figure out how we did it and what corollaries there might be there. Um, In Canada as well, there are tremendous efforts being made by the large institutions around reconciliation and um, representation. And so, you know, it's it's not it's not just a U.S. issue in particular with indigenous people. Um, It's an opportunity across the globe. And we're just excited to see people starting to even have the conversation. Visibility is the number one issue that our people face in particular. Um, And fundraising as an Indigenous person, it's really funny because people ask me all the time what it was like to be a woman founder or raising. We just closed a $2.2 million pre-seed round at the end of September. And I always laugh and say, being a woman wasn't even the issue. I had to get over the hurdle of being an an Indigenous founder, right? (laughs) before um and just kind of do this like indian 101 with 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 vcs they want to know what a reservation is and whether or not we have smartphones and all of these things before they can even start to address the business case and so that was just kind of a definitely a trip i think living in oklahoma where i am uh calling in from here today in the in the u.s um oklahoma is is half of the state is reservation land. And the word Oklahoma is actually from my native language, Choctaw. It it actually means essentially land of the red people. And so I think living here, I took for granted how much people knew or didn't know about indigenous populations. And man, the fundraising process was a stark reminder um, that we have a long way to go in terms of visibility. 
Yeah, but but you're right. It's 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 good to hear, and I, I do hear this more and more that there is a, a growing consciousness or awakening about financial inclusion. Um, and you do hear this amongst the incumbent banks, and it's really fantastic to hear. I mean, do you? I mean, I, I think we've touched on this a lot already. But do you, would you have any advice if you're a if you're a big bank or an incumbent or even a fintech beginning to think about um, either launching financially inclusive services or trying to be more inclusive as an organization? Is there any advice you would give on how to how to think about that, how to go about it? It's all about listening. It's all about listening. Um, you know, our 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 potential users have surprised us in some of the things that have come out through research where we thought we needed to build this or that or have that feature. And then when you start to have the conversation about how people actually manage their money in the day-to-day, again, like going back to that lived experience of what it means to be indigenous, you know, for example, a lot of our people are caring for family members that are halfway across the country financially and otherwise, and they need ways to connect with those people. And that was a much bigger issue than some of of the other things that we had on our roadmap, for example. So I think that even if you are a part of the community, it's about listening, especially if you're not a part of the community, it's about listening. And um, it's, you know, for, for our people in particular, we tend to be very guarded for good reason. And so I think it's about having introductions to the community from trusted um, leaders and people that are actively participating. And so um, for us and for anyone trying to serve a certain population, you have to go about it so authentically, um, come at it from a servant's perspective with a servant's heart and an open mind and just have a lot, a lot, a lot of conversations comes down to talking to people, doesn't it? It always comes back to that. Yeah. Talk to your customers, engage with them always, because yeah, you're right. They're going to tell you some surprising things that you didn't even know, even if you're a part of the community and if you've been there, been there all this all this while. Listen, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, that wraps up this edition of FinTech Insider Focus in association with Visa. Where can people find out more about you and Totem? So we are set to launch this summer. We're opening up a public beta here uh, in April. So please come find us at www.mytotem.app. That's .app. Uh, sign up for our waitlist, and we'll get you. We'll get you early access. We'd love to have your feedback. Um, we're also at Bank with Totem on Twitter, all the socials, um, and um, we. Also, are out and about quite a bit. Um, we grew our current waitlist by just doing a lot of grassroots events. So, if you are in the U.S. and you're going to Reservation Economic Summit Conference or a powwow that you think we should be at, uh, let us know. Awesome, you guys are everywhere, um, and you can find me on LinkedIn at David BG. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us to make it better and helps others find the show. For more on this discussion, look out for the next episode of FinTech Insider Focus in two weeks' time. Thanks very much, and goodbye. Amber? Actually, in a lot of native languages, there is not a word for goodbye. Um, we're all in relation constantly, life through death, and so we say instead something like, we'll see you later, which in my language is chupisela chike. Amazing. Well, we'll see you later. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>